Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. If you could trade a bench warmer for the greatest of all time, you'd do it, right? Get your business a game-changing pickup by choosing the commerce platform with the internet's best converting checkout. That's Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you're covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you possibly need to take control and take your business to that very next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your Champions League takeaway straight after the Champions League games this week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me is our Champions League guru Mr Dean Jones. How are you doing mate? Champions League guru? No I'm not but yeah I have watched some Champions League if that counts. I'm a bit unnerved actually mate because every show we've ever recorded remotely you have been in exactly the same spot in, in that little room of yours with your little setup, and it's looked great. And tonight you're sat in your lounge. And I've never seen this in however many years of ranks we've now been sat in our own homes. What's going on, mate? I've just decided to to move shop just for just for these episodes. I often think that I'm being I'm trying to be quiet because Lucy's off as asleep when I'm <laughs> recording these episodes. So I thought that if I was upstairs, I'd be able to give it the verb and passion that this episode kind of requires, <laughs> as opposed to being there and trying to keep my voice down. So we've got a little bit of a, a portable setup. I've got a, a microphone that's come away with me before and it sounded fine. So yeah. I'm basically just testing the waters a little bit to, to nice. see if it moves. And also it means it's just a little bit more comfy. We don't tend to release any video from these episodes. So no. you just sort of sit here, be a little bit more comfortable, 
talk a little bit looser. I'm excited about it. Yeah, now you know. You'll get a taste of what it's been like for me. Obviously, I've been years trying not to wake up the kids, so um, which is ironic, seeing as they've woken me up for the last five years. <laughs> um. <laughs> Just call it payback. The problem is that they don't go back to sleep. You do. Honestly, honestly. But um, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of days of games, isn't it, mate? Um, I have to say my focus has really been on the on the English clubs, but um, there's been some mad results from elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll cover the rest of the bases as per. So, But I think that the big storylines, really, across both days, have really involved yeah. the English club. So I think we're going to flip it today. I think the biggest storylines of this week came out of Tuesday's Champions League games. I'm going to let you start with the two English clubs that played on Tuesday and we'll pick up it one more takeaway and then we'll do a quick run through as ever of all the other results and anything that you need to know before we move on to Wednesday in part two. Okay, yeah, so Champions League takeaway from Man United being beaten 3-2 at home by Galatasaray is we all should have predicted this. Um, but ultimately, look, there's some, there's a couple of things that are really, really bad there's one thing that's really, really good. So I'm going to throw that in for Man United fans as well in here because I think it's important to try and even things up a bit. The first thing I want to say is I'm sick of seeing Amrabat a left back. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's almost this, as if you sign a really good six. You've been crying out for years and then stick a left long, back. How long they've needed Amrabat. All the, all the drama of getting him in there. He's going in at left back and he's being targeted as the weakness in the team. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Like, you can get away with it from time to time. Amrabat is not a left back and you need to find another way around this. Like, this is not a solution to your team. It's, in fact, causing more problems. So that's the first thing that I want to take away from this. I don't want to see Amrabat playing at left back anymore. Fortunately, in, in the Champions League, we're not going to be seeing that probably because he's going to have to play defensive midfield because their other one, Casemiro, is now banned because of Onana, who, I'm sorry, Onana, I know you're a good goalkeeper, but... He's almost single-handedly at fault for Man United on their way out of the Champions League at this stage. An absolute clangor against Bayern Munich uh, that set the tone for them losing that one. And then the pass that leads to Casemiro's red card is just an absolute... Well, it's called a hospital ball, isn't it? That's what you call it. You're You're just putting your mate in grave danger. And that's exactly what happens. Casemiro lunges in, gives away the pen, sees red and... Do you know what, with Onana, right? United have got a confidence crisis generally throughout the whole camp. His confidence never, ever falters. And I think it might be part of the problem. <laughs> this guy. I don't know, man. Like, honestly, having someone who actually believes in their own source, there's got to be something in that. It's weird, though. It's incredible how so many players can go come to Manchester United and who have been exquisite. You know, he, Onana was not just brilliant in Serie A. He was the Champions League's best goalkeeper. last year by a distance this man is an excellent shot stopper brilliant distributor and i can't sit here and pretend to you that i am not disappointed with some of the performances that we've seen in the manchester united shirts so so far but equally i can't pretend to you that i'm like surprised because this happens to so many different people i will point out to the fact that david de gea had an absolutely dreadful start to his Manchester United career and went on to, you know, be a hero yeah. and a legend at the club, even if he has left in sort of strange circumstances. So the, a, a keeper turning it around at Manchester United is nothing new. But I've got to say, like, the fact that Onana seems to not be able to find teammates with his passes anymore, I think speaks to the club as a whole, as opposed to the fact that he has not just suddenly become bad at distribution. Yeah, I'm pleased to hear you say that because I didn't really want to come and and give him like pelters because not really good to just sit here and batter the same people all the time. But he's kind of indefensible at this stage and he's conceding an average of two goals a game. <laughs> like, it might like, be because Inter were actually good at defending in Manchester United. Well, I was going to say that there is that. that. Like Inter have actually got a spine to them. Man United have got no backbone. And definitely like when you're looking... Last night, what he had in front of him with Varane and Lindelof, and the fact that, yeah, Amrabat did drift into the centre of the field. Like I, I should address that as well. Like the fact he played left back, yes, that was strictly his position. 
but he was rarely actually out there because he kept running inside and that part of the pitch was just left completely open. So that was a fault in itself. So yeah, Onana doesn't get much protection. Also, there's just no leadership. Another big takeaway. There's no leadership coming from the back of that Man United team. Mate, Harry Maguire should be playing. He should actually be playing because the one thing that Maguire's got going for him is he does talk people through games. He is a good leader and he's not been as bad as people say he has been. Like Harry Maguire's actually, last couple of performances for United, actually been pretty good. And so you're looking now at, say, Lindelof and you're like, okay, well, if you're not going to play well either, we've still got Harry Maguire in this squad. He was a club captain. Like, he does still play for England. If you're going to have him around the place, you've got to play him at some point. If you're still getting Van der Beek on the pitch, you're still getting Martial on the pitch, then probably bring on Harry Maguire. So, yeah. It, I mean, I've got to say, out of nowhere, Rafa Varane looks a shadow of the player that he was last year. I know Paul Scholes talked about this on, on TNT Sports after the game, but there is this feeling that suddenly the commanding, all-conquering centre-back was brought into the club. And we talked about this, you know, and, and Sam and I used to talk about rings in legs, etc. quite a lot. And we talked about the fact that Rafa Varane has been a stalwart of whichever club he's been at since he was about 18, 19 years of old, you know, of age. So first at Lyon and then obviously at Real Madrid and now at Manchester United, when he's fit, he's expected to play every game. He has played mm. a lot of football and he is starting to look a little bit on the sun going down kind of period of his career. And that's a huge worry because he's supposed to be the linchpin around which this defensive unit is based. And when all else fails, it's supposed to be Varane will be in control. He'll know what's going on. And suddenly that doesn't look as secure anymore. Well, there you go then. Another big takeaway. This is Rafael Varane's last season in football. Um, That is is a big one. Um, But no, you are right. Um, Rashford obviously had the horror moment when he's bearing down on goal. And I thought this was blown out of proportion. Well, it, what it comes down to, to be honest with you, is the bloke's probably got this crisis going on in his head. He's All he's hearing is that he's too selfish and he holds onto the ball too much. So suddenly he's bearing down on goal. He's got that. He's had that ringing in his head for the last five, six weeks. And he's got an opportunity where, yeah, he could shoot. But also there is someone square. And if he gets it there, it's definitely a goal. Yeah. which And he's also already played a square ball across for Hoyland to score yeah. in the first place, right? In the first half. So I can completely understand his thinking here. It's just not a particularly good pass. I don't mind the... I don't see the kind of decision-making. I hate the execution. Yeah. I don't love that he chose to pass because the Rashford of old would have just buried it. And I want him to be... Like, if you're going to get the best version of Rashford, when he was coming through as a kid, no chance would he have ever passed there. He just buried it. And do you know what? When Hoyland scored his goal, what does he do? Almost the same setup. It's just on the other side of the pitch a little bit. Goes through, cuts in front of the defender and sticks it away. My big takeaway that has to give Man United fans hope, Rasmus Hoyland is different class. I absolutely love him. There has not been barely anyone in the last 10 years that is a proper striker at Man United. There's been barely anyone that you've seen and you think that lad could score 20 goals this season. You've had Rooney, maybe Rashford and Ronaldo, right? But you haven't had like a proper striker come into the club, especially one like this that's young and like... First term, Ronaldo, not second term. Because well, he did do of, it. Second term did do it. Ahead of that, I think Cavani's season, his first season at Manchester United was excellent. Zlatan Ibrahimovic's first season was excellent as well. I, I think you put those two on, yeah, but they didn't on the get same 20 goals. pedestal. They didn't get it. But I, I think that what we're looking at here is the first time Manchester United have bought a striker under the age of 30 since what? Romelu Lukaku? Yeah, I don't know specifically, but... A first team striker like, set to lead the line for the first time since Lukaku, I think. United have decided to go for someone under the age of 30. And suddenly he can run you know, run away from defenders. He can get off the halfway line and move. He can get past back lines. I mean, I'm not so, I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is the fact that people are shocked that this is this is happening. You know, funny that, isn't it? When you actually bring in a striker who has these kind of qualities, you can utilise them in this kind of way. This is the thing. Will they utilise Hoyland? The only way he's going to get to this 20-goal mark target, which I'm giving him now for the season, um, is if they do put chances on a plate for him because he is so hungry to get on the end of them. 
that he will finish them. Uh, obviously, like Rashford's assist for his first goal, like superb. Like loved the way that it was all so punchy. Um, it was a great goal. But need more of that, Man United. And obviously, like they might have that if Jaden Sancho was the full version of himself. If Anthony could start um, producing again, obviously he was reintegrated a little bit uh, in this game. Um, can Garnacho get out there and, and start? forging a relationship with him. There's definitely players in there at United that can feed him. But yeah, it might be it might be one of those feed the goat and he will score moments for Man United. Um if they if they can actually find Hoyland in the right spot. So yeah, I wanted to end on that for United because genuinely like the lad just seems full of it and I love it. I like he, he he's just ready to be a success and it takes quite a lot to do that when you're coming in as you know okay United's number 11 but United's number nine striker um with not much behind you in terms of like pedigree yeah don't worry someone would have knocked the confidence out of him in in two three months yeah, yeah be an absolute look... crisis coming his way any minute <laughs> absolutely 100 percent. all right do you want to move us on to the other game that involved an English team last night as Arsenal traveled to France yeah, they lost 2-1 to Lons and um, this was a disastrous night for Arsenal. And do you know what? In my eyes, my big takeaway, a disastrous performance from Mikel Arteta. What is he doing, first and foremost, putting Saka back on the pitch? Saka's been an injury doubt for like the last three games and he's still being wheeled out because Arteta doesn't know what he'll do without him. Well, I think the problem is, you know, it's, it's all well and good saying, oh, we should rest Saka until you watch what Arsenal are like without Saka. And then I can completely understand why he keeps playing Saka. But the problem is, he's now going to have to play without Saka because the bloke's injured. And they've got Manchester City at the weekend. And by all reports at the moment, seems very unlikely Saka is going to be featuring in that game. To be so, fair, we've heard that for the last three weeks and he's started every single one of them. So I know, but you can't keep putting him out there. Like The bloke has got nothing left in the tank at the moment. He needs a break. Arsenal have got backup in every single position apart from Saka's. They had to bring on Fabio Vieira for him here after like 20 minutes or whatever. He's just nothing like the same style of player. And as a result, Arsenal just lack that panache because there's no Martinelli in the team at the moment. Now there's no Saka. Like that's two fundamental things that make this Arsenal team what they've been. And so as a result, they've really lacked any option that any to go in behind against Lons and they still tried to do certain things, but it was so frantic and panicky that they just couldn't find their way back into it. By the end of the game, there was like these hopeful passes going into the box that rarely, rarely lead to goals these days because people know how to deal with it. And now, yeah, they've got a big problem facing them if Saka genuinely is out because they got Manchester City at the weekend. So, yeah, it leads you to wonder, like, what do Arsenal do next in terms of their attack? Because they've been genuinely considering getting a new number nine in in January. Like, do they need a striker or do they need that Saka right-sided option? They well, can't Gabby can both. play wide, right? Sorry? Gabby can play wide. Yeah, so I imagine for their next game, Gabby Jesus goes out to the right and then Ketia comes into the middle. Um, but it's just not an option long-term to back up Saka, who is going to have moments when he's not going to be in the team. Um so, yeah, it just felt weird from, from Arteta that he just... The Bournemouth game, like, Saka played 75 minutes. They were, like, 3 0 up after 50 minutes. Like, what's he still doing on the pitch? Yeah. Very strange. And then he comes into this one, injured out, and he plays, and you're just like, yeah, this just doesn't feel right. Arsenal just were disjointed, I guess. They, they were okay in parts of the game. Obviously, they go ahead. It's a nice finish from Jesus, but... It was a tough place to go. I don't know if they underestimated Lons a little bit, but it was a tough a tough night in there. Like the crowd would bang up for it. It seemed like a really good atmosphere in there from the home fans. Um, but Lons not doing particularly well this season generally. And so it was like a cup final. No, but you're always going to get that, right? It was Lons' first Champions League game in something like 16 years. So when things return, and we saw something similar, I think, tonight at Newcastle, obviously we'll talk about that a bit later. But obviously the first time you go home for a game in the Champions League, there's something very special about it, especially after a really long absence. So I'm not surprised that the place was absolutely bouncing, right? It was, that's that's very, very natural for it to be an atmosphere. But 
yeah, Arsenal kind of wilted under it, and I, I wasn't expecting that. And I spoke obviously on uh, on the podcast on, on Monday about the fact that I was you know pretty comfortable that Arsenal were on the up. It, it felt like Arsenal were you know kicking along quite nicely, considering it didn't feel like they'd fully hit their their top gear yet. And this was a bit of a this was a bit of a kick in the teeth, I think, to that kind of idea because it all just sort of fell apart a little bit when Saka went off. And that that's a strange place to be in many ways in that, yeah. you know, obviously it's hard to find a person to come in and back up Saka, right? Uh, maybe it's a little bit easier in that you could get a winger who could play on both sides, et cetera, et cetera, fine. And if Martelli was playing, then I imagine that Trossard would just switch wings and off we would go. Yeah. But there is a point that, you know, it was we talk about the fact that Tottenham really struggled bringing in a backup for Harry Kane. Fulham always struggled to bring in a backup for Alexander Mitrovic because you know you're not going to play if you know yeah. in front of you is fit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe it's yeah. a bit different on the wings. Maybe you get a little bit more of a rotation. Maybe you could play in the ten. I don't know because say Pedro Neto, for example, who's who's been linked to Arsenal before, is being linked to him again right now. How do you convince Pedro Neto to come in as Saka's backup, the guy who's just played like seventy games, whatever it is, in a spin? How do you? How do you do that? Like, what's Neto's motivation to go in there and think, all right, yeah, I'm happy to play 20 minutes in the league and hope for cup outings? Like, no. It's it's really difficult sell, isn't it? So, I suppose it's trophies. I suppose they're the things you try and sell it on. Um, you know, challenging maybe. for top honours. But it, it's not... Any, I, I don't think it's an easy sell by any stretch of the imagination. And I, I think sometimes people think that players will be you know, delighted to come in and be second fiddle. And, and that just really isn't the case very often as Tottenham have found their chagrin over the last, what, 10 years? How many strikers came and went? Vincent Janssen, Carlos Vinicius. They, you know, the, the players that came in to try and, you know, be the backup for Kane, maybe offer something different and all just sort of left within the space of a year because there wasn't any space for them to grow and develop. And, and that makes it a difficult thing to, to convince, I think. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, London's uh, winning goal scored by, how do you pronounce his name? Elie Yeah, Is that right? Yeah. Um, mate, what a goal. It's a lovely finish. Um, and this kid, like 20 years old, there's obviously a lot of hype around him in the summer before he, he made a transfer and he was linked to various English clubs too. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't know how long he'll be at Lons, but it was a fantastic finish. Um, Big shoes to fill as well, obviously. Lois Pender left. Yeah. You know, after an incredible season with Long last year. And while he's come in, you know, kind of given an opportunity to to be the guy there after a good season for himself, you know, last year. With Montpellier, yeah. I think it was. And and so to come in and, and, and make your mark straight away is, is a pretty... Yeah, no, I've been impressed with, with what I've seen from him so far, even if Lons haven't been great this season. Yeah, no, I was impressed by him, so he was definitely worth a shout out as part of this game. But yeah, the the general takeaway I was after I'd watched it uh, late last night after the, the United game was just like, what is Arteta doing here, and what does he do next? Because that City Arsenal game is a big one. Mm, it is indeed. It is indeed. Okay, right. I want to take you away from the English teams. I want to take you away from the big teams. We'll stop for my <laughs> takeaway. Shock, shock. shock horror. Um, my takeaway is from Union Berlin 2, Braga 3. I think this is the best game I've seen this season. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I'm listening. I'm listening. This was absolutely unbelievable from start to finish. It had absolutely everything. So Union Berlin playing their first ever home game in the Champions League, but not at the Realte Forestai because UEFA have said that it wasn't big or safe enough for European competition. So they're playing at the Olympia Stadium in Berlin, right, yeah. home of their fierce rivals, Hertha. And Union fans, straight from the off, they are the place is packed. It's about 75,000 people in there. It hasn't been that full for years. <laughs> <laughs> Union fans making their feelings known that they don't like the decision anyway. They reveal this massive TIFO complaining that UEFA don't care about football, only about money. And they basically mm. direct it straight to the UEFA stadium choosing commission. Um, but they pack the stadium out anyway, and then they create one of the best atmospheres that I think the competition has seen this season, or, or to be fair, in the group stages in, in, in any season of the last couple, I think. And it properly spurs Union Berlin into life. So they've fallen away at the first hurdle in their first away game. They lose in the 94th minute to Real Madrid at the Bernabeu when Jude Bellingham scores. 
but they start this one like a rocket, right? So they have a goal ruled out in the fifth minute by VAR correctly for offside. And then Captain Geraldo Becker scores twice in the first half. The first is a good finish. The second is absolutely sublime and they're buzzing. Everything is going their way. They have another opportunity to make it three. And obviously Becker has now scored Union Berlin's first ever goal in the Champions League. The place is bouncing, literally. You can see, and, and the commentator saying, the floor is moving, the world is shaking in <laughs> Berlin right now. And so you're like, it's 44 minutes or so. All you need to do, get to the break, let everyone, you know, let everyone sit out, everyone enjoying themselves. The Braga strike back just as the, you know, as it gets towards halftime. So corner drops out on the end of the box to, to Ricardo Orta, who has been absolutely silent. For the whole game, he has had nothing to do. And he takes this down on his chest and fires an absolutely cracking volley in through this mass of bodies. Keeper palms it out and Niakate is there to tap it in. And everyone thinks he's offside. He's not. 2-1, go into the break. Anyway, everyone comes out, same again. Union all over them, big opportunities. Becker and Behrens are playing really, really well together. Alex Kral is running the midfield alongside Lucas Toussaint. And it's like, when are Union going to get their third? Uh, and instead, it goes to two all because Braga score one of the best goals I think uh, I've ever seen. This is a push gas contender. And if you haven't seen it, it's Brumer, who was Braga's best player by an absolute country mile in the first half. He's the only one. He carried the ball brilliantly. He was beating defenders at will. He was the kind of only real lifeline for Braga in his first half. Ball comes out from a corner and it's on the, like a kind of Scholes-esque on the volley for Ricardo Water. And instead of that, he just tucks it to his left where Brumer is waiting, takes one touch out of his feet and curls it top in. And there's a moment where there looks like they might give an offside because there's a player standing in the keeper's line. And it's like, please don't give that offside. Two keepers don't keep this out. It is oh. bent from outside the post. In. It's one of the best strikes I've seen in a long, long time. And so anyway, it's two all. Yeah, it's nice. Brendan Aronson comes on as a substitute for Union Berlin and he has a glorious chance to restore the lead. Comes into him in the box, free header, and he nods it wide with the goal at his mercy. And Union are pushing and pushing and pushing. The crowd are willing them on as we get into the final minutes. And Braga break in the last minute. Andre Castro, the kind of aging central defensive midfielder who's being brought on to try and secure the game gets the ball outside the box and just fires in a rocket in injury time right. breaks union hearts leaves them stranded at the bottom of the table with zero points two losses and two and two losses in injury time in two games it just had absolutely everything it was one of one of the best spectacles of football i have ever witnessed i mean absolutely heartbreaking isn't that their sixth defeat in a row union yeah Berlin, union right? are having a bad time of it having right a now. really bad time of it but they anyway. didn't deserve to lose this game like whatsoever yeah. And I obviously knew that they they had this horrible run of form, and then I'd seen I was only saw it in the results app that it was it was at two two, and I I hadn't seen that they the late. And then later I was, I was like, no, no way they've actually let it go like that. That's devastating um, yeah. for them. So yeah, that's that's tough to take. But they did make a good statement that's gone around the world with their banners, didn't they? So um, that at least went well. Shouts out to Braga as well. They didn't have the easiest start to this season. They were obviously 2-0 down here and looked dead and buried in the first half. And they fought back and, and, and won it. It was very impressive, um, I thought, especially because they you know, struggled in the first week against Napoli and they were beaten at the end of that game as well. But you know, they've, they've come back here and brought themselves right back into contention. So yeah, worth a, worth a shout out. Some, some impressive performances in amongst it, especially Brumer, who celebrated his goal with a blow-up balloon. Great stuff. <laughs> Great stuff. Stuff you love to see. Yeah, um, all right, let's run quickly through the other results before we go to part two. Uh, Napoli 2, Real Madrid 3 in the same group as that one. Uh, Bellingham scored a wonder goal. For him, took the ball about 40 <laughs> yards out, dribbled through about four players, tucked it into the corner, got an assist as well for Vinicius Jr. That partnership is really starting to tick. Um, and yet wasn't the best goal of the game, which went to Real Madrid's third. Napoli had equalised. They'd actually gone ahead in this game. Then Real Madrid went 2-1 up very quickly. Um, and they got a penalty that was slotted by Piotr Zielinski. Um, and it looked, for all intents and purposes, like Napoli wouldn't get a point. Although Real Madrid were the better side, I thought, kind of throughout. And 
Then the ball falls to Fede Valverde about 30 yards out and he fires in an absolute thunderbolt from 35 yards. It bounces off the bar, off the back of Alex Merritt and in. And it was so hard that whilst it bounced off the back of Merritt, I was quite worried about his health. You know, that was how hard it was struck, despite the fact this was a, a rebound, that it might actually be, you know, the kind of power that was going to knock someone out. So one of one of the goals, although it will go down as an own goal, it's one of those that feels really harsh yeah. in that it has gone down that way. So, yeah, that was a, a, a very good game. A lot of three twos. Yes, actually, a lot of three twos generally throughout this week, I thought, in the Champions League. Um, PSV drew two all with Sevilla. Very strange game. Sergio Ramos, hero and villain in this one. He, uh, he provided the assist for Sevilla's opener and then gave away a penalty for the equaliser. From kickoff, from the equaliser, Sevilla went down the other end and scored. And then last kick of the game, PSV equalising this one as well. Free kick swung in, absolute scuffle in the box and and they fire it home. But yeah, Sevilla are a funny old team, but their first goal was the most Mendilibar thing I've ever seen. Uh, a free kick knocked into the box, headed down by one centre-back and fired into the roof of the net by the other. Um, there are some things you just can't defend against. But yeah, yeah uh, an entertaining one. Inter won Benfica nil. This should have been about 8 nil. Um, Lautaro had more XG on his own than Benfica had in their entire team. And he somehow managed, after scoring four at the weekend, contrived to miss an absolute host of chances. So, yeah, not necessarily his best night, but um, Inter got it done, Marcus Turam, with the only goal. Uh, Salzburg were beaten 2-0 at Real Sociedad. It was the Bryce Mendes show, to be honest. He was brilliant in the first half. Um, Salzburg probably should have had a penalty in the second half, um, which would have made it 2-1 and made it interesting. But it was ruled out after a VAR check. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced it's not yeah. a penalty. It's a really yeah. strange one for it to be overturned. So they'll be feeling a bit hard done by. But I thought Russell Stad gave a really good account of themselves considering that they didn't get the points they deserved on week one. And I think they're going to be a handful for anybody they come up against. That Benfica, I also see that double header now. Looks very, very interesting, I think. Um, and then the last result of the day was Copenhagen won Bayern Munich 2. Uh, Copenhagen went ahead. Um, Bayern were rubbish for like 60 minutes. I'm really quite bad. And then kind of returned, got back into it. Musiala about to be substituted by Thomas Tuchel. Uh, and he basically went on a Maradona-esque run, beat like four players and scored. And they were like, okay, we probably should delay that substitution. Um, and then Thomas Muller goes through on goal, uh, goes round the keeper and squares it from Tyus Tell, 19 years old, still absolutely yeah. banging them in left, right. And yeah. his goals per minute record. Must be as good as anyone in Europe. And he gets he 10 minutes flying. Yeah, but he scores every week in those 10 <laughs> minutes. It's generally very, very impressive. Um, so, yeah, Bayern got it done despite not looking great. Um, and it leaves Manchester United, as we said, in all sorts of trouble. Um, but with that, I think we're done with Tuesday. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, after the break, we'll be looking back at Wednesday's action. Don't go anywhere. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to Ranks FC and Champions League Takeaway. We're on to Wednesday's eight games. We're going to pick three, say big takeaways from, and then run through the rest of them. So, Dean, you're going to start us off with an absolute crackerjack at St. James's Park. Right, Newcastle 4, PSG 1. Yeah, I mean, this game obviously ended about 40 minutes ago. Um, so we're recording straight after the games tonight, but I've already seen... Um, a headline in the Telegraph. It said uh, the first line of the the report that they've written. It says this one belonged to PSG. No, not the aristocrats of Paris Saint Germain, but the pretty special Geordies of Newcastle United. Jesus, 
<laughs> mate there was so much hyperbole in the commentary like coming out of this game it was just it got too much there was just like it was all about emotion and it was just like every adjective and like it was just like just non-stop I actually had to turn the sound down in the end I was like this is too much um but honestly like the place was absolutely buzzing um a terrible terrible night for PSG it's their heaviest group stage defeat since their Qatari takeover the big takeaway from it is that Dan Byrne who was released by Fulham age 25 has scored in the Champions League match against Paris Saint-Germain 10 years ago Dan Byrne was playing for Yeovil Town in Division 2 mate when Fulham released him, didn't have any problem with it. No, it was the right decision. <laughs> it was the right decision. <laughs> and here he is, like, what a rebuild. He used to have a season ticket at Newcastle. Um, yeah, fair play to him. Absolutely superb. Oh, for him I'm, I'm absolutely over the moon for him. Oh, yeah. Say. Delighted. He always seemed like such a nice lad. Yeah, him and Longstaff, obviously, like... Uh, local lads both getting on the score sheet. Almiron, like, he's having a great time with things at the moment. A player that wasn't sure would manage to even stay in the setup as they continue to build this, but keep proving to be a really important figure. And then Cher scores an absolute worldie at the end um, just to wrap things up. But I think the big takeaway really was how brave Newcastle were in their implementation of their tactics for the game. I mean, PSG, look, we talked earlier on in the season about PSG's window. It was unbelievable, the players they brought in, and it was reflected in their starting lineup. They started with the top four of Gonzalo Ramos, surrounded by Colo Mouani, Kylian Mbappe and Ousmane Dembele. They played 4-2-4. It didn't work at all. It didn't work at all. But you're looking at the team sheet before the game and you're like, Christ, that's a hell of a team. But the two... Ugarte and Zaire Emery are left with a hell of a task as a result of it. Don't get me wrong. Early on in the game, I thought, yeah, I'm not sure that Newcastle are going to be able to survive this. But they continued to keep pushing up. They were pressing really high. And it did pay off in the end. And the intensity of Newcastle's pressing, and we've seen them do this, obviously, um, against Man City just a week ago. Like, I think we talked about it on one of our shows. I can't remember which one it was. Like, the the pace at which they were shutting people down in that City game was incredible. And they did it again here. You're getting back into the situation where every tackle is being greeted with a cheer. There's a real like feel-good feeling around Newcastle. I mean, they're riding the crest of a wave and they believe that anything's possible. PSG didn't know what had hit them, to be honest. But ultimately, their midfield two were just stranded. Now listen, Zaire Emery is great. He's brilliant, isn't he? He is brilliant the assist that he produced for Hernandez to get them back well back in the game it wasn't back at in three the game. one it was it was, three, it was one, vaguely like, it was back on it was a yeah. chance that seeing as it was PSG they they got a second goal it was game on that assist was absolutely outstanding um it was a player that I knew very little about um before this to be honest um it's the first time I've watched him closely he's 17 years old yeah he's ridiculous and he was absolutely ridiculous so yeah keep your eyes on on Zaire Emery because that was considering his team lost 4-1 tonight (laughs) I'm coming away like he was one of my highlights like actually seeing him play um I I really like him we haven't given him enough love on this podcast and I feel bad about that um but there were moments last season where PSG were a little bit all over the place at times where he was out playing right midfield, he was playing left midfield, he was playing in the pivot. He sort of yeah. plays anywhere in the midfield. Um, and to give him that role in that kind of pressure, whether you are playing with four up top, when I got I, I got texted by my friend Max before the game, he said, this is an attacking lineup from PSG. And I said, it is, but I assume it's going to be a 4-2-3-1. And I wonder if he's going to drop Gonzalo Ramos into that kind of second striker role. It wasn't at all. It was just a flat 4-2-4. And I was like, you you can't do that against a midfield of the intensity of this Newcastle one. You know, you yeah. have in there Gimaraes, you have Bruno, um, you have Longstaff, and then you have Tonali, who is an absolute machine. Yet even if he didn't have the best game in that first one against Milan in the homecoming, maybe the emotion got on top of him. He hasn't been, you know, a, a superstar yet in a, in a Newcastle shirt apart from that first game of the season, I don't think. But the energy and the intensity that he brings is always up there. And that's why, you know, he's one of those players that fans love even when he's not playing well. 
to allow them that kind of dominance in midfield was a lot. But I thought that even still, that wasn't necessarily the issue for PSG. Zaire Emery and Ugarte really did work incredibly hard and worked and worked really well together as well, I thought. Yeah, um, Luis Enrique has um, actually defended um, his tactics. Um, well, he has to really, but he's not gonna. He's, he's not gonna have a nice ride of it tomorrow in the French press. I give you that for free. No, well, they asked him, "Why did you not change the setup in the second half?" And he said, "Because I thought it was the best thing to do, and I still think it was. You still think it was. You've just been battered four-one at Newcastle. You picked up their first Champions League home win in twenty years, mate. I don't think you got things right there, considering the players that you had on your team sheet." He said, um, "I think the result is a bit unfair." Not totally unfair. I just think it's a bit excessive. <laughs> <laughs> you might be right. They did create a lot of chances. But... Yeah, not like PSG have had some excessive wins that maybe they didn't quite deserve to be battering through the years. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you got to enjoy these nights, if, especially if, if you're a Newcastle fan. I mean, it'd be party town up there tonight. But um, Luis Enrique is going to be feeling the pressure on the back of, of that one. There's no doubt about it. Um, They'll bounce back, I'm sure, but they have been through a tough spell. And I had actually um, put this on ups- upset alert. I didn't actually really consider it an upset alert, but I was on another show um, the other day. It was my FPL show, so it wasn't really. I was going to say traitor. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Don't worry, mate. I'm not. I'm not trying to leave. Um, but yeah. Uh, and we were talking on there, and I was like, Newcastle got PSG this week, but to be honest, I think they'll probably win that. And some of the comments were like, you think Newcastle are going to beat PSG? And it's like, yeah, like this is the thing. And they were so excited on the commentary, mate. It was like, this team's still being built. This team is still transitioning. This team is not full of confidence or form at the moment. You can see that they just drew with Clement Foot at the weekend, like nil-nil, like, yeah, to be fair, one of the greatest goalkeeping performances you'll ever see. But still, yeah, but yeah. still, like that, they obviously um, they lose two. Lost to Nice recently, like three two. Like this team isn't like fully loaded right now, so we're there for the taking. And Newcastle done it. Yeah. By the yeah. way, my other big takeaway: looking forward to Eddie Howe being the next England manager. Going to be brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we shall see. We shall see. <laughs> All right, let's go onwards, and I would like to go to. The Wanda Metropolitano, where Atleti continued a very good spell with a 3-2 win over Feyenoord. And I've got to say, Atleti weren't great here. They weren't great at all. And they've come out with a 3-2 win over a very good Feyenoord side, Mm. who were the better team for 80 minutes, I think, of this game. Um, Feyenoord had gone 1-0 up, dragged back. They've gone 2-1 up, dragged back. And at the start of the second half, Atleti score a third through Alvaro Morata and they hang on. And my big takeaway is that there is something about Atleti right now that just gives me real senses of the old Atleti. They're Ooh, not they're necessarily... I don't know if they're going to win it. They never won it before, have they? No, they didn't actually win it before. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but there is a real sense of being like, they just get the job done. We saw them obviously win the derby against Madrid. They then went to Osasuna and they deserved very little out of that game, being honest. They they were lucky. And they were still one up. They had a goal, Osuna had a goal disallowed. It was absolutely chaos. You know, there was managers being sent off everywhere. They went and scored a second goal. Um, and then at the weekend, they were 2-0 down, Kutet Tukadith, and they won 3-2. And uh, Correa puts, pulling up with Morata suspended to make the difference. And tonight, they've done it again. It makes it four wins on the spin for them in all competitions since that one all against Lazio. Just starting to get a sense that it's very difficult to actually get anything whatsoever out of this Atletico side. Now, they have Real Sociedad at the weekend, and that is a very tricky game because Real Sociedad are really starting to cook a little bit as well. But I don't know what it is, but that kind of cholismo of old that we saw kind of fade away obviously they had a good second half of the season last year but the fact that they were so far behind in the title race and they weren't able to use that brilliant second half record to actually put themselves in contention was a little bit kind of disheartening there was talk you know at this point last year that it could be Simeone's last year in charge maybe that it's gone on too long Mm. and suddenly they just look back to that kind of horrible to play against really useful side 
that are just gonna find a way. And and so the big takeaway from this one was Feyenoord were really really good. They deserved much more out of this game. And yet, you know, at three two, even at two all, having been completely outplayed for the first half, I'm sitting there at half time going. I think Atleti win this. And mm-hmm. that shouldn't feel like a big statement. But if you watch the game, you saw how dominant final were. Griezmann scored on the stroke of halftime, 49th minute, you know, four minutes of extra time. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of, ugh, they've just dropped off in concentration seconds before they need to go in. And that spell, five minutes either side of the break, were the only kind of 10 minutes where Atleti were the dominant force in this game. And yet, and yet they've come out with the win. There was some brilliant defending. There was some really cohesive goalkeeping from our black, which had started to be questioned last year as well. Just feels like Atleti are back. Um, that, that's my big takeaway from this one. They are winning games they don't deserve to win. They're winning games yeah. they do deserve to win. And there's so much about that that I look at and go, yeah, yeah, this is, this is an Atleti side we need to be keeping an eye on. So that was my big takeaway out of that one. Yeah, four wins on the spin for them now. So they're definitely in their groove, aren't they? And they're always dangerous when they get into that mentality. But it's good for football, to be honest, in both the Champions League and La Liga. So I'm always here for it. I'm not always a total fan of the uh, watching the actual games because they can be gruelling at times. But there's different ways to win football matches and they get things done. Yeah, they play a really interesting thing now where they obviously, you know, Carrasco's gone, but they're still kind of maintaining that that system that has... A kind of winger as the wing back on one side and a full back as the, the wing back on the other. Um, Samuel Dino has been doing a really good job there. He was booked, so he came off for Rodrigo Raquelme, but I also really like Raquelme. Saul and, and Koke having a, a kind of moment where they've rediscovered the form of old in the middle is great. Rodrigo de Paul is a wonderful footballer. It just all feels quite, you know, quite good vibes. And the Morata Griezmann connection. It's just incredible. They continue to, you know, to to work so well as a pairing, and I'm really delighted that Morata's still at the club because he's he's really proving his worth here. Memphis to come back in as well. They are not just grinding out Atleti. This is a side that are good at scoring goals as well, and they have players that can run football matches. And Anton Griezmann, I think they probably have a player who should be right up there in terms of form in the Ballon d'Or conversation. He won't be because he hasn't won enough, yeah. but. In terms of actually his performances over the last calendar year, Griezmann is right up there, right yeah. up there um, with the best in the world again right now. And it's great. It's great to see. I, I love watching it. Um, I'm going to move us on to the other game I want to take a takeaway from, which is Borussia Dortmund's nil, AC Milan nil. This was the dumbest game of football I've ever watched. Was it? it was so stupid. It was like one of those games. I think between them, they had 32 shots and five of them were on target. Did they? It's just... It was nonsense from start to finish. I, I can't, like, I, I'm trying to find a nicer way to say this, but at no point did it look like either of these teams were scoring a goal. It was absolutely bizarre. So Milan had to rotate in the midfield. They played to Gianni Reinders, who's been really good this season, as the, the bottom of, uh, of a three, uh, the base of a three. Uh, didn't really work. Pabega played on one side of him, Musa on the other. They ran and ran and ran. But this was a basketball game from start to finish. And it was like, no one could get any sort of element of control on the game whatsoever. You know, if you're watching it, be like, I don't know who's, I don't know who's on top. I don't, yeah. I didn't know who was on top at any point in this game because no one held onto the ball for more than about a minute. It, it was, it, it, they must be exhausted, all of them, all of them. <laughs> um, but it just felt like one of those where there was very little attacking threat. Now we obviously saw Milan be quite wasteful in that first game against Newcastle. They were similar here, but I think in the game against Newcastle, it felt like they were carving out clear-cut chances. That really wasn't the case in this one. And, and Dortmund neither. You know, there were long shots going in from absolutely everywhere, which probably ex- you know, explains that kind of shots-to-shots on target ratio. Um, Dortmund changed all four of their front four. They started with Brandt, Royce, Marlon, and Fulcru. They brought on Mecha, Makoku, Adiemi, and Bino Gittens. Um, and wow. even with, between eight of them, they managed about two shots on target between them. It was it was madness. Still no sign of Gio Reyna, which I find a little bit weird. Um, he's been on the bench for four games now without without seeing a single Not minute of action, seen, yeah. um, which is a bit odd. The best chance probably fell to Sam Chiquese, who kind of fluffed his lines. But just generally watching it, I, I, w- I was exhausted. And I, all I could think about was just like, why can neither of these sides take any sort of grip? on this game of football whatsoever. These are two two sides who are doing very well 
in their respective leagues, right? Dortmund are fourth. They haven't been great, but their results have been absolutely fine. Um, and Milan are second joint top with, with points with Inter behind only on goal difference. You know, these are sides which are supposed to, and, and we have seen, I think, in their domestic leagues, Dortmund less so, but definitely Milan, just able to get a grip on things and, and, and call it off a little bit when necessary. Obviously, there have been bad results, but generally, uh, I've thought that this Milan side were more than impressive enough this season to think that I could trust them in a game like this. And this kind of performance, I was like, what is going on? This is like nothing I've seen. It was just so chaotic, so frenetic. Yeah, just a, a really stupid game of football. I enjoyed it loads, but it was stupid. Yeah, weird that. Yeah, so AC Milan really setting the tone for this Champions League season, aren't they, with two nil-nil draws. Um, it's really exciting stuff on the back of what they managed to do last season. Very strange, but... And yet um, the table looks okay, right? Because the table doesn't look too bad for them, yeah. Well, I think the fact that obviously PSG went off to a very good start. They won that first game against Dortmund. Milan now on two points, zero goals scored, zero goals conceded. Um, very strange. Um, and Dortmund on, on on one. It's still very open, this group. Um, now, obviously, Newcastle Dortmund play this double header next, which is going to be very, very interesting, I think, in terms of one, the two atmospheres. But two, Newcastle will look at the two Brazil Dortmund performances so far, and they have no fear at all about them. And equally, yeah. Milan will look at that PSG performance tonight and be like, we can beat them. And they're right. If they do play like that again, they can. Yeah. Um, although that would involve them scoring a goal, which has obviously eluded them so far. So, yeah, a, a, it's a great group. Movement. I mean, it's living up to the hype. I mean, I know that the, I talk about the nil-nils, but in terms of like the competitiveness and like the fact this is going to go to the wire with these four big teams, like that is that is really exciting. Yeah. Okay. Let's run through the other ones quickly. Um, RB Leipzig one, Manchester City three. Uh, City took the lead in the first half. Really good goal made by Rico Lewis, finished by Phil Foden. It was a great night for Academy prospects. Obviously, we talked about the Newcastle fans scoring at St. James's Park, but actually Man City's Academy boys coming through. Two lifelong City fans combining for their first goal in the Champions League in this game. Great stuff. Really enjoyed seeing it. But Leipzig hit back on the break and it, it was a bit of a weird goal. Josko Gvardiol decided he wanted to just continue joining the attack through the first, the start of the second half. Um, and then when Grealish lost it, they ended up two on two at the back and Appenda raced through and equalised. And to be honest, for a long time, it looked how, how it was going to stay. It looked like it was going to be another one. Obviously, Leipzig and City drew one all in Leipzig last year. I think Leipzig beat City 2-1 in Leipzig the year before. And it was going to look like it was like, okay, it was another one of those nights for Manchester City. And then... Julian Alvarez came on and you, know, you talked about how good he is, but I, I think there is a very good suggestion right now that he's the most effective player in the world. Every time he comes on, every time he gets the ball, he makes things happen. He scores an absolute worldie to make this 2-1. He gets the ball on the edge of the box, no back lift, basically chip curls it into that top right-hand corner as a proper R1 circle on FIFA. You know, just with, without any sort of back lift, <laughs> he just looks up and pings it top corner and you're like, Okay, cool. Unbelievable. Then he races clear, sets Doku away, and Doku seals it for three. But Alvarez is swiftly becoming one of the most important pieces of this city side. And that is not something I think anyone saw coming at the start of this year. No, he is best supporting actor, isn't he? Like we said previously, like Haaland's supposed to be the, the main man in that team. But if in doubt, Alvarez will always back him up and come through with the goods. So, um, yeah, he's said before he's done it with Messi he's done it with Haaland but we need to just start looking at this guy in his own right now because he's not a supporting actor like he's he deserves more than that like one of the best value signings we've seen in the Premier League probably ever if you consider the money that's being spent generally now I mean there was once upon a time was it cost 14 million or something like that would have been seen as a lot of money like it's it's pocket money these days and it's fantastic Fulham paid 8 million more than that for Alex Awobi <laughs> great fun oh my day lots of fun um, yeah I mean what a player really? what a player yeah absolutely um, what a player uh, I absolutely love him uh, right Celtic 1 Lazio 2 this was heartbreaking for Celtic at Paradise um, <laughs> one all Celtic take the lead uh, the equaliser is a bit of a damp squib it's like a, a set piece it's headed in and around the area a couple of times and eventually Vecino forces it over the line um, Celtic think they win it in like the 86th minute when the ball falls to Lewis Palmer, he drops in an absolutely beautiful strike. So he shifts off 
his left foot onto his right to get around the defender and fires it home at the near post. Goes absolutely wild, shirt off. Sutley Park explodes um, and he gets pulled back for VAR uh, and offside against Dyson Maida in the build-up. Um, really frustrating, but fine until in the last minute, Cameron Carter-Vickers goes wandering out of defence, loses the ball, comes, gets worked out. Pedro wins it back off him. He gets worked out to Matteo Genduzzi, who chips it up, and Pedro comes in and heads one in at the back post. And uh, yeah, the first Lazio win in an away game in the Champions League since 2003. Oh, is it? That's, uh, there's, there's a stat for you. Um, but yeah, heartbreaking for Brendan Rodgers and Celtic, who had been really, really good. It was a really impressive performance. You know, there, there were moments, I think, in the first half in the final game in, in week one where Celtic were good. But this was genuinely a, a really, really good performance, I thought, from Celtic. And to lose it like that in the last minute was wow, tough, yeah, tough. So you could see the energy sap out of the place. Um, but especially having had what they thought was the winner denied to them minutes beforehand. Just, yeah, very, very cruel. Uh, Red Star had a similar situation, apart from they've salvaged it. They went 1-0 up. Um, young boys pulled it back, scored two goals in the second half. Uh, and in the last moment, Red Star scored an equaliser. Brilliant finish. Absolutely unbelievable. You know, like they're, they're looking in and the keeper starts to step outwards to try and block the cross coming across and you fire it front post. You know, that those kind of goals, absolutely sensational finish. Uh, and Maracanã. Another unbelievable atmosphere explodes. So, yeah, incredible, incredible scenes in Belgrade. But uh, a really good, entertaining game, end to end between them and Young Boys. Um, Antwerp to Shakhtar Donetsk 3. Weird result, um, but Antwerp went 2-0 up in this one and Shakhtar scored three in quick succession. The Antwerp goalkeeper had an absolute nightmare here um, for a couple of these goals. But actually, the real drama came again in injury time where Antwerp, Antwerp won a penalty um, for a handball and Toby Aldevelra stand up, stepped up and just absolutely creamed it wide. Um, oh, you know, the, the captain, the old guard, the man who came back to win them the title, oh, yeah. just absolutely slams it wide. Terrible penalty. A bit like Icardi's against Manchester United, but, but wider. Just a really bad moment and everyone very upset in Antwerp. So good win for Shakhtar. Um, they needed that, but... Yeah, a big one. And the other game in that group, Porto lost 1-0 to Barcelona. The only goal coming from Ferran Torres. A silly goal to give away on the stroke of halftime from Porto's perspective. Romario Barro gives the ball away in midfield. Um, and Barcelona race through and, and Ferran slots it in. It's, there wasn't much in this game, to be honest. Um, a brilliant recovery tackle from Jules Koundé. Probably the highlight of the second half. There was a red card right at the end as it descended into a bit of chaos. But... Yeah, Barcelona had hadn't won away in the Champions League to a you know a good big side for quite a while, so they'll take heart from this. Um, Robert Lewandowski limped off injured about twenty five minutes in, um, so just one to keep an eye on there. But mm. yeah, a, a changed Barcelona side. The midfield three was was Gavi, Romeo, and Gundogan, so a little bit of a shift. Um, Joao Felix looked lively, was booed very very ruthlessly by by the Porto crowd at the Dragao, but yeah, it was. It was a pretty even game, not much between them. A mistake to find it. And yeah, that that was how it how it panned out. But some some nice moments and obviously a, a good thing for Barcelona to get that win under their belts away from home in the Champions League. But yeah, um not as convincing as perhaps they would have hoped for it to be. Or perhaps maybe it would have been with Lewandowski on the pitch. Yeah, lovely stuff. Good roundup, mate. Um, haven't seen any of that yet, so I'm probably going to go and watch it all now. I'll tell you what's quite ironic, given how we started this show, mate. Um, I Taylor appeared in the um, corner of my eye halfway through that recording, and she just sent me a message saying that Dylan has woken up during the recording, and she's got in there to quiet him down, and she thinks that my talking woke him up it's pretty loud in here i'm downstairs and he's upstairs i mean i don't know how much further away i can go um you have to build a basement i am underneath his bedroom i guess but i mean 
Uh, the, the next time you hear me do one of the Champions League, I might have to do it in the car or something. Right? The Whisper Pod. Yeah, I think the car would work actually. Um, it's pretty close to like where the Wi-Fi router is. I reckon I, I might be sat in the car next time you hear from me on one of these. <laughs> Could be very interesting. <laughs> well, that's pretty much all we've got time for. So all there's left for me to do is say thank you very much to our Champions League guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Your sleep guru, Dean Jones. See you later, mate. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I've been Jack Collins, neighbour of ours. This has been your Ranks FC Champions League takeaway. We hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week back at regular programming. Take it easy, gang. Have a wonderful weekend. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.